show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, tomorrow we enter into the final stretch, the fourth week of Advent, and it's not even a full week. Um, as we progress on towards the, the mystery of the Incarnation, this fundamental mystery of the Christian faith, that God became man so that we might be reconciled back to God the Father. This is a huge mystery, and we're going to take plenty of time to unpack that in the Christmas season. I'm not going to get there yet. We'd like to rush there, but I'm not going to, because here we are in the final stretch of waiting. Now, I've said it over and over again, and I will say it a thousand more times before I'm I'm tired of it, because I came across this formulation in my own meditation and prayer a couple of years ago. And, and I think that this is fundamentally true. Um, no one's yet corrected me on it. Uh, but looking through the readings and seeing where the church is taking us in these penitential seasons of, of Advent and of Lent, and it looks as though, specifically these first couple of weeks of Advent as we're looking at eschatology, the, the looking at the end of all days, and and um, waiting for that second coming of Christ. As I look at that, I see a lot of the readings guiding us towards this realization that all is not right with the world, right? We can look around and see the effects of the fall. We see injustice. We see all of these things that should not be so, right? We were created to be in relationship with God. This was our our very, the very purpose for our our. our creation, our identity, was that we were to be in union and relationship and ongoing communion with God. And and that's not the case. We are subject to the fall. Even as we're on this side of the cross and have been redeemed, we still feel the effects of the fall. We can look around and say, hmm, this is not the way that God created the cosmos. All is not right with the world. And then we look through this period of, of longing and waiting, waiting for that redemption where all the effects of the fall will be redeemed, right? We'll no longer experience the injustice that we see all around us. We'll no longer experience the fall in our mortal bodies, even as our souls are already um, redeemed and brought back into relationship with God through uh, the work, the redeeming work of Christ on the cross. This is what we're looking for. This is what we are waiting for, recognizing the time that Christ has already come, the mystery of the incarnation that's that's awaiting us, but also looking forward to that mystery that has not yet been brought to fulfillment, that promise that he will return again, and this time not as the helpless infant, but as the the, the ruling and reigning king of the universe, which we celebrated, of course, right before Easter. The culmination of our liturgical year is this acknowledgement that Christ, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the king of the universe. And so here we are, we're in the midst of this waiting. I've talked about that over and over and over again and will on into the future. But today I want to look at it in a little bit of a different tack. Because we've been talking about this waiting in these these big swaths, right? Looking at the the uh, the overarching landscape of humanity and saying, 
in some grand uh, way, all is not right with the world, and we're longing and praying for that redemption to come to the world. But what happens when the waiting is not abstract and not grandiose, but very intimate and very personal? What happens when that statement of all is not right with the world is not looking at the injustices that exist in our society, but looking at the injustices that we personally have to endure, looking at the difficulties that we personally have to go through. And while this is true all the time, how much more so right now as we're still so isolated from this pandemic, how much more are there going to be people who can look and say, all is not right not so much with me. We're going to get there. Remember, that's what Lent is about, is that internal looking. But to look and say, there are external forces in play right now that that are not right. This is not the way that the created order was made to be. And all is not right with the world in my specific instance. This can manifest in a number of different ways. It can be through... Uh, recognizing a deep and abiding grief and, and, and the difficulties that we encounter through that. It can be through recognizing uh, broken relationships. It can be looking around and saying, these things that have occurred uh, through trauma, through difficulty, through loss, all is not right with the world. And, you know, we look in that and, and we experience it And Advent gives us this window into the longing and the waiting and brings us to the rejoicing of the Incarnation. But what do we do when we have been living that Advent, that longing and recognizing the difficulty of the world, when it's gone on for a long time? What happens when there's little prospect that it will actually be over by the time that the Christmas celebration comes around? What happens when there is no real promise or, or, or trust that this is going to be over anytime soon? I said back at the beginning of this Advent that I wanted you to take some time to, uh, to identify those things within your circle of life that you could look and say, all is not right with the world and then invite Christ into those places so that when Christmas comes, we can celebrate the Incarnation in a very particular way, in celebrating the results of the Incarnation on those specific places where we can look and say, all is not right with the world, right? This is not just an abstraction, and it's not just a little bit of homework that we can uh, somehow feel better about ourselves or our environment as we sing our Christmas carols and move on, but to recognize that that Christ's incarnation is not merely meant to be grand in scope. The fact that Christ came in the way that he did, in the smallness that he did, should be an encouragement to us to look for the incarnation and its effects on the grandular level. Not the grand level, but the grandular level specifically as it relates to us and our experience of reality and our experience of longing and waiting and uncertainty. So this Christmas that's coming very soon, this Christmas, 
you might have some places where you don't see that restoration or redemption. But I am convinced that you can and I can experience the incarnation in, in, an, in its infancy in those places, right? When Christ came and he was laid in the manger, he wasn't right then restoring all that had been wrong. But he was laying the groundwork and establishing the foothold and saying, here, God has come to dwell with men for the sake, for with mankind. God's come to dwell with mankind for the sake of restoring us and redeeming us. And so as we come to the end of this Advent, I want to encourage you to see those places where you have been longing and waiting in, in anguish, perhaps, And this Christmas, as we come to celebrate the Incarnation, as you have spent this Advent inviting Christ to come into those places, I invite you, maybe ask the Holy Spirit, to reveal to you the places where God is coming to dwell with you in the midst of those places. And trust in that promise that he who begins that good work will be faithful to bring it to completion and will bring restoration and redemption to those broken places that we look at and say, all is not right with the world, and I can't fix it. But you, God of the universe, creator of the cosmos, who spoke worlds into being, you only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. So we're going to press in on this just a little bit today and focus and spend some time looking at this this protracted waiting and longing and recognizing that things are not right. And we're going to look specifically at how we can discern God's presence, maybe in that infant nascent stage, God's presence right in the midst of that difficulty, of that longing, of that pain. This is not a topic we like to bring out into the light of day very often, but here as we're approaching the incarnation, I think is the perfect time to do it. So to help us explore this idea, we're going to be talking with Jeannie Ewing. She's a Catholic spirituality writer who focuses on the topics of grief, redemptive suffering, and wait for it, waiting. She's the author of multiple books, but the ones we're going to take a look at today are Waiting with Purpose, Persevering When God Says Not Yet, and From Grief to Grace, Journey from Tragedy to Triumph. Jeannie, we're so glad to have you here on the show today. So you had a piece here recently on Catholic Exchange. Love the blog. Read it very often. Uh, but your, your first line got me, and it's one that um, that I appreciate very much. It's something that that I've heard and I appropriate and I, I tell other people, and yet I still forget that that the surest way to know that we're hearing the voice of God is the accompaniment of with with peace, right? That sometimes God will ask us to do something that we very much do not want to do, and yet even in that moment, um, there's peace with it, and it's it's not a, an experience of anxiety. It's it's an experience of I'm not really thrilled that I have to do this, but okay. So talk to us is as much as you are willing to to delve into that um, this idea of discerning and listening for the voice of God in these times of waiting. 
So I had heard a talk by Father Chad Ripperger, who is an exorcist in the Diocese of Denver, Colorado. And something he said in one of these talks, I can't remember the subject exactly or the title, was that Satan can imitate a lot of different emotions that we might equate with uh, consolation from God. So for example, the devil can imitate joy. Um, So we might feel this elation or euphoria that we might think, oh, God is answering my prayer because I feel this way. And yet um, what he was trying to iterate in that talk was that actually the only thing Satan cannot imitate is peace. Mm -hmm. And so that is why peace is really the hallmark of how we can find clarity in our discernment when we feel like maybe there's a lot of things competing for our attention or we feel very distracted or restless or we feel like um, we're hearing a lot of different voices from advice from family and friends, um, uh, our interior monologue or that that committee in our head that we have. So it, how do we weed through and sift through those voices? Well, peace is, is really the hallmark of that. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're comfortable with what God's asking us to do, which I think you kind of touched on that in your opening remarks. But um, so sometimes the Lord might shake us up a little bit, but we have this quiet confidence when we know it's Him. And there's also clarity that accompanies peace. So when the Lord is actually speaking to us and it's not some other voice from ourselves or our friends or family or even the devil, um, we will we'll have this interior peace accompanied with clarity, which means we can see more clearly maybe just the next step of what God wants us to do. He often does not reveal the big picture or the wider plan of what he's calling us to do in our lives, but he will reveal the next step and we can have confidence because we have that clarity. Now we here in this this Advent season, we're thinking a lot about these times leading up to the birth of Christ, and so I think of I think of the 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 um, the Annunciation where the angel comes and and he says something very challenging and difficult to Mary, and she says, "Let it be done to me according to Thy word." Uh, and we see Saint Joseph, who we talked about last week on the show, who received this dream and and went forward and did what would out externally outwardly be a very difficult thing because of of this certainty that it was God who was speaking to them of course uh, w- with Mary's vision it might be a little bit easier to know that than than Joseph's dream because I've had dreams that I've questioned right um and yet they have this certainty that that it's God who's speaking to them i want to take that and and say that i'm not saint joseph right i i have these times where I'm not absolutely sure if I'm hearing correct. And let's go back even a little bit further to those people who might be dealing with grief or with trauma or with something that that um, that they want to hear the voice of God in, an, in a specific area. And yet, anytime they get close to that, their anxiety or, or just kind of like the, the child with the splinter who won't let the parent get near it to deal with it. How do we discern... Um, that voice of God speaking through peace when we have so many areas of maybe protection around that thing that we don't take the time to actually stick around to hear if it's God who's speaking, if that makes sense. There's a lot to unravel in what you just said. I would say that grief is a very messy, multifaceted experience. So often 
when we are grieving, and it can be any devastating loss, it doesn't have to just be the death of a person. So I'm thinking of, you know, the times, the trying times in which we're living with the tumult in the church and in our nation, the United States. And um, a lot of us have our personal strife and suffering, maybe physical ailment, maybe we're a caregiver, uh, maybe we've lost a job and we're struggling financially. There's a lot of ways that we experience grief. But the thing about grief is that um, God doesn't often reveal himself in the same way that he does in ordinary circumstances. So we might actually be very jarred by the reality that we actually feel more distant from the Lord when we're grieving. And it's because of a couple of things. One is that the Lord often is um, inviting us to a deeper faith. And that is what St. John of the Cross calls obscure faith. And I explain obscure faith as faith that is not clear, but it's certain. So that relates also to the concept that he wrote about the dark night of the soul, which is often a term that's overused in spiritual circles. But the way St. John of the Cross meant that is that when we're, we're called into this deeper level of faith, so a closer contemplative life, um, we're, we're trying to travel down towards the unitive path, we have to go through this very messy and painful purgation. And what's necessary is that the Lord darkens our senses and also our emotions. And so grief can all, often be a catalyst for that type of spiritual experience of darkness and obscurity. And so um, I would say that discernment, if we're, we're talking about discernment, like you're mentioning with Advent, that's a very different kind of waiting than the kind of waiting that comes with passion, which is more of a Lenten kind of concept that we tend to think about in the church. So um, to tie that back into Advent, I would say that there are two types of waiting that I've learned, waiting and passive waiting. This comes from the philosopher um, Vanstone, and he wrote a book called The Stature of Waiting, I think in the early 90s. In that book, he really um, differentiates between active waiting is more of this concept of the Annunciation and the visitation that we associate with Advent. It's waiting with joyful hope. It's the expectation. It's the anticipation. It's when the Lord reveals a very clear plan and promise, and we have this immense joy in waiting for that fulfillment. Mm -hmm. But then most of what our experience in life is what he calls passive waiting, and that is passion. And that is when the Lord darkens our understanding and our knowledge of what he's doing to us and through us and with our lives. And also when we also feel his absence. So we tend to not hear his voice or um, maybe we don't get an answer to prayer right away. Maybe we just feel a very painful, painful distance between ourselves and God. And we often mistake that for, he's punishing me, I did something wrong. Now, how can you tell if it's because of sin or not? Well, that's where a soul that's in a state of grace, so a a soul that has been frequenting the sacrament of confession, who is amending his or her life, Um, regularly doing an examination of conscience, avoiding mortal sin. And you know that, right? You know that you're doing that. You're staying close to the Eucharist. Um, Then if this is what you're experiencing, it's likely 
the dark night of the senses. It's likely that the Lord is drawing you. He's inviting you into something that's foreign. It's uncomfortable. It's painful. But ultimately, and this is where I would recommend to your audience to read St. John of the Cross. He is very hard to understand, but I've kind of broken down some of his principles and concepts in my books. So from grief to grace and waiting with purpose, I talk about St. John of the Cross quite a bit. And this is where we can have that hope that even though we feel like God has abandoned us, much like Jesus did on the cross, we have that um, constancy in our fidelity to him, that we continue to show up every day. We continue to pray because what the Lord's asking of us in these moments of grief and loss and pain and suffering, he's asking us to love him for the sake of love, not because he gives us something, not because he grants us some favor or comfort or consolation, but just loving him because he deserves to be loved. And that's a pure love. So that's often kind of very rudimentary, but what happens in the first stage of what St. John of the Cross calls the purgative stage. So there's the purgative stage, the illuminative stage, and the unitive stage. And um, sometimes people spend most of their lives in the purgative stage, and that's okay. (laughs) We're talking today with Jeannie Ewing. You can find these books she's talking about over at JeannieEwing.com. Um, so you mentioned this, some of us spend most of our lives in the purgative phase and, and we think, oh man, that makes me somehow somehow less because you know I didn't, I didn't get through. But I, I think of Mother Teresa, who we, we hold up. She is Saint Mother Teresa, uh, Saint Teresa of Calcutta, who spent her life dedicated to serving God and serving the poor. And yet she experienced this, this um, lack of consolation for a huge swath and portion of her life. Uh, and yet, like you mentioned, and I've lost the term already, but there is this certain faith. That obscure even, faith. Yeah, this obscure faith that even though I, I don't see the way through, I know that this is where God wants me to be. Um, and, and so knowing that knowing that God is meeting us in those places, having the certainty that God is, is with us, even as we feel the absence and the, the loss of consolation. You know, as you're describing this, uh, this waiting and talking about it being kind of a Lenten waiting, uh, I, I still think that there's a place for this in the Advent picture because um, I'm, I'm a father. And while I have never experienced pregnancy in the same way that my wife has, I I can watch from the outside and say, you know, within this expectancy of, of new life, there are these moments of, of joyful waiting. And then you get there towards the end and, and it feels very much like a passive waiting, like child, when are you going to come out? (laughs) And so I feel like some, there's something for that in us as we wait for the Christ child as well, that we do have these moments of great of great hope. And then there's also these moments of realizing that I'm really not in control here. That's what I think is beautiful about waiting is that we have, well, and we have the liturgical seasons, both Advent and Lent, right? Because that's really what our faith is about. It's about that balance and often paradox of joy and sorrow, of um, peace and restlessness. And that's really the journey of the, and the, the human condition, I would say. So you're absolutely right. And I actually write about in Waiting with Purpose this concept of mystical pregnancy because there are also families or there are couples or there are even women who have never experienced biological pregnancy. And so that's why I think it's also appropriate 
to um, make that uh, analogy for men because we're all called to give birth to Christ in some mystical way, right? Through our lives, through our life work. And that's also a very joyful gift that we can bring to the Lord. So I'm not trying to say that there is no um, active or Advent waiting because we do have those moments in our life and absolutely this liturgical season can draw us into that joy and into that expectation and anticipation. But what I am saying is that if we if we use Jesus as our um, model, which we should, right? Jesus himself spent most of his um, ministry with this um, passivity. Mm-hmm. And so what Vanstone writes about is that um, the act, activity of Jesus's life, so his active ministry when he was very busy curing and healing and, uh, and ministering and preaching, that is a smaller portion of what his purpose was. Really the fulfillment of his life's work didn't happen until he was handed over to Pilate. And so Vanstone actually uses the Greek verbs um, in the gospels to demonstrate how Jesus shifts from subject to object. Mm. And he's saying that that obviously was an act of the will, that Jesus allowed himself to be handed over. But from that moment on, he um, it, he was entering into really the last, sta- the final stages of what was really the point of his existence. And that was to die to himself and to be resurrected. And so we have to use that as an example for our own lives, that our active ministry, um, it might be very fulfilling. And maybe we are very active. Maybe we're blessed to have good health and good mental health most of our lives, for decades of our lives. But I think for some people who might be listening to you who are maybe incapacitated, maybe they're permanently or temporarily disabled, maybe they have a chronic health condition, maybe they're out of work, and they might feel more like, gosh, I feel this helplessness. I can't really do. I can't be doing things. And we tend to have an erroneous understanding of that. We tend to think that when we're not doing, when we're not busy or active, then we are worthless. We're a burden. Yeah. And what I wanted to convey in my book, which is also a point of, of waiting with hope, is that actually our state of helplessness just like the Lord when he allowed himself to be spat upon and brutalized, our state of helplessness is actually an opportunity for others to um, come to us and perform works of mercy. It's an opportunity for us to grow in prayer, to practice contemplation and stillness of the heart. And so I wanted people to see that perspective and understand that it's not like you're wasting your time when you can't move or you can't work or you can't do what you think you should be doing to be productive in life. Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Jeannie Ewing. You can find all of her books by going over to genieewing.com. When we come back, we're going to discuss specifically what are the steps that we can take to discern God's presence in the midst of the waiting, whether that's an active waiting or a passive waiting. Join the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. I want to hear from you. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam.
podcast where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. Today we're talking with Jeannie Ewing. You can find her books by going to GDEwing.com as well as many other endeavors that she's gone into. We're talking about a, a piece that she wrote recently for Catholic Exchange about discernment. Of course, in the context of the article on Catholic Exchange, it was discernment for for moms, for busy moms. Um, but I think that the the principles therein apply to all of us. And so, if you are a busy mom and you want a little bit more specifics, well, you can go and read the piece over in CatholicExchange.com. We'll put a link to it over on our social media, Facebook.com/slash/Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Give you a little shortcut there, so you don't have to dig through the archives. Jeannie, thank you again for joining us. Yeah, it's been great. So in this last segment, we were talking specifically about the different kinds of waiting that we might have to to go through and and finding the voice of Christ in peace in the midst of those things. I talked a little bit about grief and so forth, but I want to move now into those steps of discernment uh, that that we all experience as we are in this period of waiting. We're listening for the voice of God. Um, walk us through your process of how you discern when you really are in the midst of difficult waiting and need to hear the voice of God? Well, I wrote this five-step process in my book, Waiting with Purpose, and it's basically listen, ponder, pray, prepare, and act. Just kind of came to me while I was writing the book. So it might sound very oversimplified, but what I've discovered in my own experience is that a lot of times we have to cycle through the listen and pondering and praying part quite a while before we get to the point where we understand where God's leading us and then we can prepare and then we can act. So I think the reason we start with listening is because it's so hard for us in our informational age to still ourselves. And some of us might be able to discipline ourselves to get all the external noise out but then we still have that interior clutter that's really hard to turn off. And so we kind of have to practice this over and over because the Lord does not speak in the thunder and the lightning. He's in that still small voice, right? So we really have to, I guess, develop that habit of listening and then ponder. So what I like to tell people who are kind of in this place, like, where do I start? Well, I think that it's helpful to start with maybe the daily readings for Mass. Mm-hmm. So you can find a liturgical companion. You can There are different apps. You can find the, in, the readings online and listen to what God's speaking to you. It might be a one word. It might be a phrase. It might be an, an image in your mind if you're a visual person. And then you're going to ponder. You're going to, to join yourself with the Blessed Mother and really, really think about it. Like, what does this mean for my life right now? Why did this strike me? Then you can enter into prayer with that. So then you might ask God some questions. You might say, well, why are you giving me this word of waiting? Like, that's what happened to me when I was writing the book. I was like, wow, every single day I'm seeing this word waiting or wait for the Lord with joy or, wait, you know, all these different forms of waiting. And I, I realized after about a year that there was a reason for that. He wanted me to gather this information and write a book. So I use that as an example or an illustration for your audience because a lot of times the Lord works... Um, in us and through us gradually. Sometimes it's quickly, but often it's it takes time because we need to mature uh, spiritually and emotionally. There might be something we have to go through. 
some kind of garbage or junk that we need to sift through and work through. And this is where spiritual direction is also helpful when we are discerning. A lot of people ask me, well, how the heck do I find a spiritual director? Well, a lot of very pious Catholics I found are very specific about the kind of spiritual director they want. They want a priest, usually an ordered priest, someone who will be their confessor as well. And while that is a possibility, it's far more likely that you can find a lay person who is actually trained in spiritual direction to um, kind of mentor and guide you through all of your um, your periods of desolation and um, questions that you might have that you need to bring to prayer and the sacraments. So um, you can start by looking at, at your diocese if there's an office of evangelization or something com- you know, comparable to that, you can um, contact them and see if they have recommendations. And I, I can personally recommend my spiritual director to anyone who'd like to contact me through my website. I'd be happy to do that. One of the things I've seen that works is find find the priest that you you think, man, I would love for that priest to be my spiritual director, and and go to that priest, but don't ask them to be your spiritual director because priests are busy. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, but what you do is you say, um, I'm looking for a spiritual director. Who would you recommend? And then maybe- Yeah, or who's your spiritual right, director or something may, like that. Maybe they'll pop up and say, oh, I can do it for you. But maybe they'll have, because you you already trust their discernment and their judgment. Otherwise, you wouldn't want to you know connect with them. Um, you already trust that. So then take that advice and, and go where they might direct you. Yep. Uh, you know, you're talking about this first step being listening and and- we we like to uh, to listen actively, right? We're um, we're, we're the information age, so I want to listen, and I'm going to listen by compiling all the facts with my Google search and and whatever else, uh, and actively sift through things. It's a much harder thing to sit back and say, "I'm going to trust that the the God who made all things from nothing." Can uh, can come and connect with me in a moment of silence, if I just sit still long enough, mm-hmm. and give me the information that I need that that might be contrary to what I'm going to find online, uh, but most certainly is going to be more true. Yeah. So um, I think that. Sometimes the Lord wants us to listen, not even for the sake of finding an answer or a solution. He just wants us to be with him and allow him to be with us in maybe an unspoken moment of love or, um, and that often happens when our prayer life deepens, I think, is that we find that words aren't always necessary. And we can find that in marriage too, right? Sometimes we can sit with our spouse in a very quiet, peaceful moment and we don't have to talk, but it's a fulfilling moment. And, and that's, the, that's also true with God. So I think when we shed our pretenses and our expectations of who we want God to be for us, and we just allow him to be who he is in our life and reveal himself as he desires to reveal himself. I mean, we know he's revealed himself through tradition and through scripture, but um, how does he want to personally touch my life and my heart? And so... That is a relationship that takes a lifetime to really build. And I don't think a lot of us have the patience for that. And I don't think a lot of us have the um, self-awareness or the depth to really um, permit God to do what he, what he will 
in our lives, whether that's being silent, because sometimes God chooses to be silent, like I mentioned in the beginning. There's a really good book called When God is Silent by, um, he was the Archbishop of Mexico City, Luis Martinez. So this is a book that I got from Sophia Institute. It's fantastic because he uses that um, gospel passage about Jesus asleep on the boat. He uses that as his foundation for this whole book about there are moments when Jesus chooses to in us. And it's kind of this mystical concept of allowing God to rest in our hearts. And when we continually just give to him our time and we listen, sometimes it's just going to be a restful being together. Mm-hmm. So we have these steps, listen, ponder, pray, prepare. We're in the season of Advent, the season of preparation. How does this discerning preparation differ from the other kinds of preparation we might engage with of preparing for a party or for a move or for any other uh, major life event? Because it it isn't necessarily about the doing like we're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily about the hustle and the bustle and the activity and the information and the control, I would even say. Like, oh, I can get whatever information I want. I can just go on a search engine or um, I can have all the answers. So I think this kind of preparation, this spiritual preparation that pertains to waiting is very much about entering into God as mystery, It's about sitting with the questions we have, sometimes very painful questions. And it's about being content with not having the answers. It's about being okay with the fact that I may live my whole life and not know why or what if, or if only. And um, that's the beauty, I think, of Advent because it draws us away from all of the busyness and the chaos in the world and draws us inward And that's where we find the stillness where the Lord dwells in us. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about um, this, the stillness in the practical. As you are going through your Advent, as you're uh, discerning this next year, what what life looks like after quarantine and pandemic, um, what does your Advent preparation look like? How are you what are maybe some some traditions that your family has that help you and your family prepare for the the celebration of Christmas and and the presence of the incarnation in the year going forward. So you can relate to this, I think, probably too, because you have eight kids. I have five. And we also have, one of our kids has um, a rare disease. She has 15 specialists. She sees three of them every week. Um, So we have a lot of activity and a lot of stress. So I think that, that what's been very important and valuable to my husband and me as we've raised our children is to really simplify how we celebrate Advent. So for instance, my husband and I grew up in families where it was like, right after Thanksgiving, it was Christmas, like the world (laughs) celebrates. So we did all the decorating and all the baking and all the shopping and all the wrapping of presents. And now my husband and I will get out the Christmas tree and set it up as the family, but we don't decorate it right away until the week of Christmas. And then we have our Advent wreath and we have a devotional that we read every night as a family. And then we have um, a little sacrifice manger that my kids, mm-hmm. they put little straw in. They have to make sacrifices every day for Jesus. And You have to make um, a bed soft enough for Jesus. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then we have a little baby Jesus that our youngest daughter will put in in the manger on Christmas Day. So we make it very simple. We don't 
we just don't have all the pomp, I guess, that the world has we, until Christmas, until the octave of Christmas happens. And it's so beautiful because it's almost impossible for me as a stay-at-home mom who also writes and also does speaking engagements to keep up with what everybody else says we should be doing. And we wanted Advent to really be Advent. And so it's very much centered around prayer and the preparation for Jesus and the anticipation, right? So we're talking about active waiting. So we're building the anticipation for our kids because they get to put the little ornament on the Christmas, the Advent tree every day. And they can say, oh, there's only a week left till Christmas Eve, like today. Um, They would say that. And so um, that's just how we have been able to prepare for the stillness. So we have these steps of discernment uh, to to listen, to ponder, to pray, to prepare. And I feel like there, there's a missed opportunity that all of these should have been P words, right? But never, <laughs> nevertheless, the, the last is to act. Now, we've been talking about how preparation looks different when we are, uh, when we're waiting and preparing in, in discernment. Does this action also look different in this period of discernment than than what we would typically conceive of? Well, maybe, but that, again, these are very nuanced ways that God works in our life. So for someone like me who is has a tendency towards being busy anyway, because I'm a very ambitious person by nature, um, the Lord might act in me that's comparable to the way I work in my life because it's natural to the temperament he gave me. So he might move in me quickly when it's time to act. Then there might be also moments where the act part of it is more subtle, that it's um, it requires more, I think, patience and... Um, it's it's kind of complicated because I think that we have to like we have to to move with God and sometimes he moves really fast but then he'll stop mm-hmm. and then we're like what's he doing and so then there's another phase of or um, whatever you want to call it of waiting right. and we're like gosh I was just waiting and then he was moving and now he's not again and what we have to remember with the act part of this piece this five step process is that um God is doing a lot that we can't see. And a lot of what has to do with the preparation for the fulfillment of a promise that he's making or some kind of clarity that he's giving us and direction is that it's um, it's all about his timing. Uh, you know, as you're talking about these different kinds of action, uh, I'm just, you know, in the Advent spirit, I, I thought of the way that he acted with Mary and the way that he acted with Joseph. With Mary, she she said, let it be done to me according to thy will. And then there was this slow movement of the gestation of Christ uh, being made one of us, right? That that was a slow action. Uh, and then with Joseph, right, he had a dream and he had to go, right? Get up, yes. go, move. And then he did that. And there was another period of waiting as they then waited for the next dream, telling them to return, and so I, I think that as we're in this season, we can learn so much from the Holy Family uh, and their way of interacting with with God the Father and with Christ uh, that 
maybe that's something for us to listen and ponder here in these remaining days of Advent. We've been talking with Jeannie Ewing. You can find her uh, work over at JeannieEwing.com. I really encourage you to go take a look, specifically the the, one, the book we've been talking about today uh, is that Waiting with Purpose, Persevering When God Says, Not Yet. Uh, you can also find the piece over on uh, Catholic Exchange on Discernment for Busy Moms. Jeannie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the conversation. It was wonderful. If you missed any part of my conversation with Jeannie or you want to go back and listen to it again, share it with somebody who you think would benefit from it. Have no fear. All of our episodes are archived right over at OutsideTheWalls.com. There's also each and every week extra segments. We have a continuation of our conversation, digging a little bit deeper into the topic. And that's available for all of those who support the show on Patreon. Really easy to do while you're there looking at the archives at OutsideTheWalls.com. Look to the top right-hand corner of the page where you will see a link that says Patreon hyphen support the show. And uh, just click that link, go through, look at some of the extra segments that are there available for, for public consumption, and then decide whether that kind of extra content is something that intrigues you, whether you want to help keep the show on the air and support us and get lots of cool goodies while you're at it. But now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Uh, One of my favorite sounds in the world. It means that I'm going to dig into some great truths of the faith. I've been using Verbum for about six years. I got it right when I first started the show. And I love it. And I know you will as well. Go to Verbum.com. Get your library free for 30 days. Try it out. See which one you like. And then... See how many books you want on your bookshelf. I have the gold package myself. I love it. I think you will as well. Our reading today from Scripture comes from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. We're pulling these readings from both this reading and uh, our reading from church history are going to come from the Friday of the third week of Advent. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous shoot to David. As king, he shall reign and govern wisely. He shall do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah shall be saved. Israel shall dwell in security. This is the name they give him, the Lord our justice. Therefore, the days will come, says the Lord, where they will no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but rather, As the Lord lives who brought the descendants of the house of Israel up from the land of the north and from all the lands to which I banished them, they shall again live on their own land. That reading comes from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. And what this says to me is that God is in the business of keeping his promises. And we can get hope and security and and consolation by looking to history and seeing his track record of keeping his covenant. But he's not content to be known for the God who kept covenant, but he is the God who keeps covenant and keeps faith. And so here he's making the promise to the people of Israel. Yes, look back and see and trust that I delivered you from slavery in Egypt but I'm going to do it again. And so too, as we experience this, uh, the, the injustices of the world, to look around and say, all is not right with the world, we can have confidence looking to see, yes, he has done it before, 
But yes, he will do it again. And it might take time, just as it did with this prophecy from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. It might take time from that promise to the fulfillment of Christ and the incarnation and the cross. But God is moving, right? Uh, I think it's the the book of Thessalonians. It says, um, dear friends, he is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness to be, right? God's time frame is different than ours, but he is progressing toward the fulfillment of his promise. It's true with the incarnation. It's true with the second coming. And it's especially true as well for us in the midst of our own waiting and our own sorrow as we look for God's presence, his consolation, and the fact that he, Emmanuel, God with us, is coming to deliver us in our particular circumstances. Our reading today from Church History comes from a discourse on the Psalms by St. Augustine. And I have to tell you, uh, I was I, I pull up Verbum and I look through the, the various readings of, of what I want to do, and sometimes I have to look at a couple. And this one, I brought up the first one, and it starts off, In the anguish of my heart, I groaned aloud. And I'm like, yep, that's the one for this week. And so here we have his discourse on the Psalms. In the anguish of my heart, I groaned aloud. There is a hidden anguish which is inaudible to men. Yet when a man's heart is so taken up with some particular concern that the hurt inside finds vocal expression, one looks for the reason. And one will say to oneself, Perhaps this is what causes his anguish, or perhaps such and such has happened to him. But who can be certain of the cause except God, who hears and sees his anguish? Therefore the psalmist says, In the anguish of my heart I groaned aloud. For if men hear at all, they usually hear only bodily groaning, and know nothing of the anguish of the heart from which it issues." Who then knows the cause of man's groaning? All my desire is before you. Hmm. No, it's not open before other men, for they cannot understand the heart. But before you is all my desire. If your desire lies open to him who is your father and who sees in secret, he will answer you. For the desire of your heart is itself your prayer. And if the desire is constant, so is your prayer. The Apostle Paul had a purpose in saying, pray without ceasing. Are we then ceaselessly to bend our knees, to lie prostrate, or to lift our hands? Is this what he meant in saying, pray without ceasing? Even if we admit that we pray in this fashion, I do not believe that we can do so all the time. Yet there is another interior kind of prayer, without ceasing, namely the desire of the heart. Whatever else you may be doing, if you but fix your desire on God's Sabbath rest, your prayer will be ceaseless. Therefore, if you wish to pray without ceasing, do not cease to desire. The constancy of your desire will itself be the ceaseless voice of your prayer. And that voice of your prayer will be silent only when your love ceases. For who are silent? Those of whom it is said, because evil has abounded, the love of many will grow cold. 
the chilling of love means that the heart is silent, while burning love is the outcry of the heart. If your love is without ceasing, you are crying out always. If you always cry out, you are always desiring. And if you desire, you are calling to mind your eternal rest in the Lord. All my desire is before you. What if the desire of our heart is before him, but not our groaning? But how is that possible? Since the groaning is the voice of our desire, and therefore it is said, my groaning is not concealed from you. It may be concealed from men, but it is not concealed from you. Sometimes God's servant seems to be saying in his humility, my anguish is not concealed from you. At other times, he seems to be laughing. Does that mean that the desire of his heart has died within him? If the desire is there, then the groaning is there as well. Even if men fail to hear it, it never ceases to sound in the hearing of God. That reading comes from a treatise on the Psalms, a discourse on the Psalms by St. Augustine. So what is that thing? What is the the place of injustice that you've recognized, that all is not right with the world? What's the thing that you first called into mind a couple of weeks ago when I asked this question? What's the injustice that you have recognized that you are calling and inviting the incarnation, the, the love and the presence of Christ into in order that that incarnation, that mystery of Christmas will come and set right the things that are wrong? What is that longing and that desire that you recognize something's not right here and I want it to be right? Let that desire magnify and increase. Don't push it aside or bury it, but look at it and gaze at it and offer it as a cry of the heart, as an anguish, as a longing for the redemption of Christ to come and bring healing to those broken places offer it. Allow it to sting. You know, we like to push away those things that cause us discomfort, the things that we're unsettled with. Let it come to the surface. Let it bubble up. Let it stir up in you an increased desire, even as that desire may be difficult and painful. And let that desire become your ceaseless prayer. Maranatha, come. Our Lord, come quickly to save us. Our Lord, come and be Emmanuel, God with us. Dwell with us and be our God, and we will be your people. And let's join our prayers together as I lift up your prayers and you lift up mine and wait in joyful and maybe sometimes uncomfortable expectancy for the presence of God to come and be with us. Come join the ongoing conversation on social media. If you have a specific prayer request and you're willing to put it out there, I would love for you to come and put it facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls. Let's pray together as we long for Christ's coming. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show was brought to you by Richard Jones and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to outside the walls.com. Click that Patreon link and join their numbers. Until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing. God is unchanging. 
Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices.